Google Trent, the gent They like agents On top of pavements Peppermint patty fragrance Taking the credits when they spits and spritz A chip and dip, a dip and dell I pin the tail Death throw the penalty ID Throwing your identity Theft crime in the night Pick pop, keep the lock Stop, drop, roll the dice Double, double, do eat the rock road Rochambeau, tic-tac-toe Crossing a road with the nice flow With my industry, see me room, room, play Monopoly With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the T's how do you do, venters? My chief purpose of this podcast is to have meaningful conversations with significant individuals whom I have connected with along the way. As my daughter says in the intro, we will dot all the I's and cross all the T's to prove that questions are the answers while finding out what these significant people ultimately vent about. Doctor, doctor. Can't you see I'm burning, burning? Well, Venters, by the end of this episode, your kids will have the burning desire to become a doctor. My inspiring conversation is with Sylvia Drew Ivy and Laurel Black of Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science, the only historically minority medical school on the West Coast. I can't think of two better guests from Charles R. Drew University considering Laurel is an admissions counselor and Sylvia is the special assistant to the president and the daughter of Dr. Charles R. Drew. I'm pleased to bring you this conversation, so enjoy. Welcome, Venters. Um, today I am sitting in the Charles R. Drew University and my guest today would be Sylvia Drew Ivy, who is the special assistant to the president as well as Laurel Black, who is an admission counselor at the university. So welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Let's begin with a little history lesson, Sylvia, if you can give me about Dr. Charles R. Drew and let us know about his contributions to medicine and to science and just a little history lessons about Charles R. Drew, Dr. Drew. Okay, my, my father was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up in segregated Washington. Uh, he went to uh, Dunbar High School and then to Amherst College. He didn't have enough money to go to medical school, so he went um, to Morgan State College where he became a football coach and taught biology and chemistry and helped Morgan beat Howard University in football for the first time in their career, which was a great triumph for the students. Um, and he earned enough to get into medical school. And he applied to Howard University, but Howard said he was short on English credits. And so he applied to many other schools where he didn't get in, but McGill in Montreal, Canada accepted him. And he went to Montreal, Canada, and he graduated second in his class. And while he was there, he studied blood and was very interested in how to preserve blood. Um, that was not long before World War II. And um, he developed a way to preserve blood that was not in, uh, in use at that time, which was to separate the yellow from the red, uh, because the yellow cells um, last longer. The red blood cells decay in a week. If you have the plasma, the yellow cells, you can dry it and put it in a bag like uh, a bag of sugar, and then add water, and anybody can take it. It's not uh, done according to blood type. The red has to be by blood type. So his contribution was to figure out that process. Then w during World War II, they asked him before the United States got in the war to um, send over 5,000 ampules of plasma for the soldiers in Europe who were being wounded. And he did that. He did a mobile blood donation clinic, the first mobile blood donation clinics and got the blood, dried it, sent it over in sugar bags, and, um, and saved many, many thousands of lives. The Red Cross then asked him to set up the first U.S. blood bank using that methodology 
of storing uh, blood plasma and having it available. So he did that and that methodology is still in use all over the world today. So that's his contribution. He was the first African-American to do what in medicine? He was the first African-American to do a number of things. He was the first African-American to be board certified in surgery. And he, his ambition when he later went to uh, teach at Howard University, he wanted to develop uh, a whole cadre of board certified black physicians and we didn't have very many at that time. And that, that's the, the, the stamp of approval. If you're board certified, you're the best. And his surgeons became uh, the heads of departments of surgery all over the South. Um, he trained over half the surgeons, black surgeons who were trained in the United States at that time. So that was one of his firsts. He was the first uh, director of uh, the Red Cross blood uh, clinic using uh, plasma uh, do uh, transfusion, transfusions. Um, he was the first African-American head of the Department of Surgery at Howard University because when it was set up by Congress, all the leaders were white in the beginning. So he was the first black one in surgery and they brought in many other black heads of departments after all that. So um, he, he was a terrific um, athlete and at Amherst he got the uh, trophy for the student who had contributed the most to athletics in their four-year tenure. So he was, he was always on the cutting edge of everything that he did and when he died at age 46 in a car accident, um, he was um, eulogized by Mordecai Johnson, the president of Howard, uh, as saying that he, he lived a life um, so intense that it took the rest of mankind to live a whole life, and he achieved a lifetime's worth of contributions in a very short span. How was he able to break through the barriers, given, given the time and, and the era that he did all this? And I also read that he protested against the practice of racial segregation of the donation of, of blood during that time. So how was he able to be the one to break through the barriers during that time? Well, he didn't really break through that barrier because the, the Red Cross, even though it was enlightened enough to hire him, uh, they were not enlightened enough to follow um, his admonition that there was no reason to segregate uh, blood by race because there was no different difference between the races. Either you were type A, type B, type um, AB, or that was it. It wasn't what race you were. Um, but the Red Cross was afraid of public censure, and so they continued until 19, the mid-60s, 1960s, to segregate blood by race. So he didn't win that battle. And um, there's, there's, conf there's ambiguity about whether he left the Red Cross in New York to go to Howard because he was mad about that policy, or whether he left because he left his wife and um, small children in Washington while he was doing all this in New York, and I think he wanted to go home. He wanted to come home to me. So, um, so probably both things were operative, but he was very upset about it. He was also very upset about the fact that um, medical societies in the South would not admit black doctors. And if you couldn't get into the medical society, you couldn't get into the hospital. And if you couldn't get into the hospital, then the black patients couldn't be admitted to the hospital because you had to have a physician who was a member of that hospital to admit you. So he did a lot of traveling around to the black medical societies to tell them that they had to work on that, they had to get overcome that barrier, they had to do whatever they needed to do to make that change. And that was very important because that really gave us entry into hospitals when our doctors 
started getting privileges. How is there an historically black university or medical school, being Charles R. Drew University, sitting smack dab in the middle of, of LA? How, how did that come to be? Well, the, um, the oldest black medical association is the National Medical Association, the NMA, which just recently had its conference here in LA. And we, uh, there are chapters of the NMA all over the United States. And the one that is here in LA is called the Charles R. Drew Medical Society. And when we had the uh, Watts Revolt in 1965, uh, there was a McCone Commission report and the McCone Commission said one of the reasons we had the revolt was because there's an absence of health care in South LA and people can't get care. So if we want to improve conditions for people we need to establish a hospital. And w if we establish a hospital we have to have physicians who are trained and qualified to take care of them in the hospital. So Drew was started as really a postgraduate education uh, center for doctors to come back and, and burnish their educational credentials in medicine uh, so that they could serve the, the new Martin Luther King Hospital. And it was only after that time that we grew into a full university, not only with medical students but with nursing students and PA students and MPH students and now we're expanding to, to undergraduate students. So this is a health training university at all levels and it's the anchor for minority training in South LA and indeed throughout the West because most of the minority focused medical health training institutions are on the East Coast. So we are a profoundly important anchor for this side of the country. So no other minority university on the West Coast. We're it. Great. Started as post-grad. Now you said it sounds like recently you've been doing undergrad? Well, or we've been doing undergrad for a while, but we're expanding it. We're, we hope to have 2,000 undergraduates um, here majoring in health sciences. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, that's a new expansion. Our nursing school is only three years old, so we're really expanding in all directions in, in health because thanks to our great president, uh, we have the Affordable Care Act. And we have so many more people who can come in for care now, and we need providers who can take care of them. Next question probably will go to Laurel. So Laurel, my question to you, Given um, Dr. Charles R. Drew's contributions to medicine and, and to science, as an admission counselor, how has that, how 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 has his legacy helped you attract um, prospective students to come to the university? And what type of students are you looking for to to bring to the university? Well, with Dr. Charles R. Drew as a namesake of this university, it allows the students within our community to have a face that they can relate to. Uh, too often our youth, our minority youth, do not have a face that they can relate to in terms of aspiring to uh, higher education and especially in the health services fields. So I, I think by my presence in the university, by Sylvia's presence, by Dr. Drew's namesake, they've probably heard and have done reports in high school on Charles Dr. Charles R. Drew, but really didn't have a, a truly intimate knowledge, but now they can say, I can visit the campus, I can be a part of the campus, I can attend the campus, I can graduate from the school, whether in the, the School of Nursing, in the College of Medicine, and or in the College of Science and Health. And I, I think that gives them something a little bit more tangible to deal with than what they may receive out of a history book. With that said, why, why Charles R. Drew University if you're going into undergrad, why your university as opposed to, let's say, Duke or some other well-known university throughout the country? Well, one, uh, the size, even though as uh, Sylvia suggested, we're growing, we're a small institution. 
and you get a more hands-on opportunity with the faculty and staff here than you might at a larger school. And I think that's a benefit for a lot of our students so we can, to a degree, handhold our students to success. And um, that alters from other universities where you're pretty much more or less a number out of tens of thousands of students. Well, people know your name, people know who you are here as a person and that intimate knowledge of each other, you see each other across campus, I think is a compelling factor. Again, as Sylvia suggested, well, we're here in this community that has needs, and a lot of our students are attracted to this school because of the mission of the university. And we are trying to minimize and or erase health disparities. So if you're growing up in a similar type of area, whether it's here in Los Angeles or across the country, and you want to give back to that type of community, this is a, an institution that says, okay, well, that's what our mission is. Those are the students that we're trying to attract is those who are saying, okay, well, I want to give back to a community that is like mine or that is mine. And this university is focused on that. So let's talk about the, the students and the prospective students that you're looking for. What are the expectations? And so it sounds, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because um, most undergrad students that want to practice medicine, normally they study biology at a university and then they go on to, to med school. Um, so how is your curriculum different during that undergrad process um, compared to other universities? And what are you looking for in the students, be it their SAT, ACT scores, um, certain AP exams, and we can touch on that AP exam um, aspect too, do you, do you feel like the students in the, um, some of the minority students in some of the un, um, unrepresented areas or underrepresented areas, are they getting access to these AP exams that they might need to come to uni university? Well, that is a challenge with a lot of our high schools in terms of having the AP courses uh, in depth and breadth that other high schools may offer. So there is that challenge with those students who are at uh, high school institutions and that's why we kind of have a pipeline concept where we're trying to encourage students and from uh, kindergarten all the way up through high school through our Saturday Science Academy to one focus on sciences and, and technology engineering and math. And um, with that we're reaching out to our high school partners in the area in Southern California area to make sure that we are in line with uh, what they're trying to do in, in terms of graduating their students. And they're in line with what we're trying to do in terms of trying to produce students who are going into the healthcare field. And in order to do that, you're right, they do need the AP courses that will afford them the opportunity to better be able to succeed on the MCAT exams and get into the medical schools. Um, we do have a biomedical sciences program, a Bachelor of Science in Biomedical Sciences program, which will help our students move from high school up through the health career fields, whether it is becoming an MD, and those students will start off their first two years at UCLA and finish their last two years here at Charles University. So it's a dual degree program, or at the School of Nursing, as uh, Sylvia suggested, which are primarily master's degree courses, or we have um, radiologic technology program, which is um, an associate degree program, so you, you go in for two years at a community college, you come in with that degree, and you come out in another two years and you get uh, an associate degree in radiologic technology. So we have avenues for our students on various levels, and that's something that we didn't have to the same degree as we do now. So we're building, we're growing, and it will afford our students and our community to say, okay, well, there are options here in the healthcare field. You don't just have to be a nurse or a doctor, there are all these opportunities that Charles Drew will, will expose you to, Charles University will expose you to. You mentioned nursing uh, a few times. What percentage of the student body is the, the nursing program? Right now, that's our, our largest school in terms of population. Uh, I'm sure there'd be over 50% of our population right now. And we're efforting to, uh, again, increase our undergraduate programs uh, through our high schools and our transfer students from our community colleges. So as uh, our other programs grow within our, the College of Science and Health specifically, that's where we have the uh, opportunity for largest growth, then our school will grow as well.
being a research university, right? We could call it that, correct? Yes, is the health disparities, is that the main focus of the research or what would be the, the main focus of your research and what should students be curious about or should they be curious about a lot of things if they want to attend Charles R. Drew University? In terms of research, and, and maybe Sylvia will be better uh, positioned to answer this question, Trent, um, we have a Cancer Research Institute, and that is takes on the, the bulk of the research in at our university. Um, and that's one of the challenges that uh, affects and afflicts the minority community, specifically maybe to a larger degree than the majority uh, community. So I, I think that would be the uh, greatest opportunity for the blending of um, research and addressing health care disparities. Sylvia, if you wanted to tag on to... What yeah, let me just add that um, it's another part of what's unique about Drew University that it isn't just um, a full health smorgasbord. It's really tried to build its vision uh, of what we're doing and why we're doing it on dealing with the problem of disparities in health. And so uh, there are foundational research efforts, one of which Laurel mentioned is uh, cancer. Another one is cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease is the number one killer for everyone, but we have disproportionate amounts of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, which often uh, ends up in cardiovascular disease. Uh, so cancer, uh, diabetes, mental health is a huge issue in our, very unaddressed issue in our community. Um, and we're developing research in that domain. And then the fourth pillar is policy. Because in, in order to address disparities in health, you have to develop policies that, that address the reasons that we have it. I remember um, a, a, a grant from the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta many years ago where they were supposed to address diabetes and they spent the money to make sidewalks because the people in the black community didn't have sidewalks and people in the white community had sidewalks. So they said if you want to deal with diabetes, you have to give people an opportunity to walk. Okay, and CDC said, okay, that makes sense to us, that you're, you're going upstream to do prevention in the, in the area of diabetes. Um, so you have to have policies that follow that kind of breakthrough, that, that look at the social determinants of health, not just the need for doctors, the need for nurses, the need for uh, all of the other professionals that we're producing, we have to, the circle has to be expanded so that, that our students can work in many different domains to help communities that need help with, you know, foster care issue and child care issues and nutrition and, and exercise. Um, all of these things are, are um, pathways to better health and to wellness. One of our visions for the university is to develop a wellness center. So that in not just dealing with sickness, but trying to keep people well. So that's on our drawing board for right now. Great, you know, I was gonna bring that up because all I can think about is the processed foods that um, a lot of us in our community have access to. And if it's soda, if it's um, tons of sugar in our foods, obviously that's not helping the, the situation any. And so I'm glad to hear that you're gonna be um, getting out there and to, to inform the community. Well, we, we have one of our physicians is um, teaching a cooking class at the Y um, because he, he believes so strongly that he wants to get way ahead you know, of the patients who he's reaching as an internal medicine physician down the line. He doesn't, he doesn't want to see any more amputations for diabetes. You know, he hates that. You know, let's, let's work together as a community. Let's help each other. Let's find out where we can, can get fresh produce. There isn't 
that much, but we have many more farmers markets coming. There's one every week now at Martin Luther King Hospital that Cynthia Davis developed, uh, who's one of our faculty members. So we really are aware that we have to go uh, out further, not just wait for people to come to us to school. We have to go out into the community. Environment is another issue. We're working with Watts Labor Action Committee on um, bad water and bad air in the Jordan Downs area uh, and Ujima Village. Um, we, the community has been assaulted by environmental factors. Just, it's not just Exide, it's not just Porter Ranch, it's right here in South LA. And there's not much response to it. So we have to work with community to say environment impacts our health. The lead in the air impedes development of the child's mind. We can't ignore that, you know, so. So how do we, or what should we do as a community to get our elected officials' attention and to affect a change re regarding some of these non-policies? Well, thank you, Trent, for that question because I think it's important that what we're doing here at Charles University, as Sylvia suggested earlier, is uh, attending to policy and creating leaders. And our students are becoming leaders in their communities. And it's starting here at the university and it is growing from here outside to our surrounding uh, community and their communities where they came from. And I think it's a matter of holding our officials accountable, not just addressing the fact that there are challenges or problems or situations, but doing the follow-up and, and remaining vigilant and making sure that they're being attended to. We also have the uh, Black Community Health Task Force who is uh, in, who works along with Charles Reed University. Some of the members are faculty here at Charles Reed University and they are making sure that our elected officials are paying attention to the challenges that uh, we have in our communities in terms of uh, uh, health concerns. So it, it's uh, the village. It's the village saying, okay, well, we all have to come together for a particular purpose and for this university, it, it's health disparity on all the various levels and with all the various means uh, that we have at our disposal. I know that, um, and correct me once again if I'm wrong, Laurel, that you at, at some point inspired a, a program called Operation Giving. Is that yes, correct? Yes, sir. Um, with the university, can you tell me a little bit about that and if there's any other programs that you inspired um, along the way at, at your, your stay here at the university? Well, my concept, just like many of my colleagues and peers here at the university, is that we have to start doing a little bit of something individually on an individual basis. And we can't solve the world problems, but we can uh, affect positive change for some people. And there was a hurricane out in Oklahoma several years ago and uh, I guess to a degree it was selfish of me because uh, my parents w grew up in Oklahoma. So the, the whole entirety of Oklahoma has a meaning to me. And when there were all these disaffected individuals and families out there, it's okay, well, what can we do? And one of the things I sought to do was say, okay, well, we have resources here at Charles Drew University. Let's reach out outside of our immediate surroundings and see what we can do to help somebody else and lend our support in a manner that somebody else whom we have no contact with will say, okay, well, hey, they're strangers, but we appreciate the help. And we were able to uh, send money and clothing and items through the Red Cross to Oklahoma to make sure that we did our part in serving those who had an immediate need. Um, in the near future, we're planning a superintendent's mixer, and that's for the uh, superintendents of the local high school districts. And that, that's an idea that I came up with. I'm going to be assisting and focusing on reaching out to the high school community in order to uh, buttress the number of our undergraduate programs. So we're going to invite superintendents from the various high school districts in the Southern California area for them to come, one, just to look at us and, and do as you're doing, we appreciate your visiting with us, Trent, to say, okay, well, what is this Charles Archer University of Medicine and Science? Because many 
don't know about us. They'll, so it'll give them an opportunity to, one, find out about us, find out about the jewel we are in this community, and then share that down line with the principals, with the counselors, and with the students. So it, it's about taking what we have here and shining a light on it for others to see. And we appreciate you giving us the opportunity to shine the light through this medium and say, okay, well, this is who Charles R. Drew University is, and this is what they're about, and we're doing good things here. Yes, you are. You, earlier you mentioned the, the high school partners that you have. Um, approximately how many partnerships do you have with certain high schools? Well, Dr. Steve Michael, who is a provost, and he is our, our, our lead of uh, academics at the university, uh, has um, recently gotten about five or six different memorandums of understanding with uh, various high schools and uh, community colleges in the area. And we're looking to grow that number as we become more entrenched in the high school and transfer uh, uh, community. So, it's a, an ongoing process and it's something that we're really focused on now. We're putting a lot of resources and, and effort into that because we really want to make sure that one, we are an op option for our high school students and for those who students who are going to the uh, community colleges right now. So we're putting a, a lot of efforts and energies in that uh, respect. Several of the uh, colleges that we have uh, signed MOUs with are um, uh, the South District of LAUSD, West, West Los Angeles Community College, Verbum Day uh, High School, which is uh, a Catholic high school right here in, in uh, South LA, um, and we're in talks with Compton School District. Dr. Provost's uh, plan is to really make Drew attractive to students in this community uh, by saying that if they meet our uh, entrance uh, examinations and, and we're going to offer to send our faculty to their schools to help them with the health and the math, math uh, science courses if they need that support. If they meet the standards to get in, if they live in our community, they will get priority. So this is going to be their school and we want them to know that we want them whoever they are, if they'll work hard to meet the standard to get in, we're going to give them priority. We want them to come here. How many students do you have that's out of the community? Um, I mean, do you want it to mainly be focused on students within the community? Or are you looking for other areas that might be West LA, Orange County? Yeah, right now uh, they're working on developing a residency here. We don't have housing for students uh, from out of state and from a long distance. So most of our students, if they are from outside of the area, then they're finding their own housing. So that's one of our challenges and one of our benefits also because it will compel us to work hard to attract the students who live here who are familiar with the area. And that's what our focus is is to radiate our energy from within and work outside. We do have a number of students and I would suggest uh, more so in the School of Nursing who are from out of the area and some are from out of the country even. So we're not uh, instilling any population, any, any demographics. We're trying to be all-inclusive but we're trying to do that within a, a means uh, that will uh, allow us to grow at, at a uh, constant rate. The last time I checked my um, demographics, I had a few international listeners. I think it was Korea and Britain. How are you attracting the, some of those international students? Our research faculty at Drew um, uh, looks like the entire world. We have many people from the Far East uh, in our research faculty. Uh, India, China, uh, Japan, uh, it's, it's very rich in its diverse uh, body. Um, we, we attract students uh, in our physician program and in our PA program from across the country, which those programs are so competitive everywhere, uh, and they're very competitive at Drew, so that we had uh, 2,700 
uh, students apply for 26 se seats in our PA program, for example. Wow. And we had a similar volume of applications for the medical school. I think it was uh, something like 26,000 applicants for 29 seats. So we draw from all over and we get the cream of the crop, but we are um, always looking for people who've already done community service like Laurel was describing that he's done as a, as a member of our staff here. These students are motivated to help the underserved and they're engaged in their communities and involved. And if we find that in their application, we're, we're interested in that just as much as we're interested in their uh, grade point average. And so that's, that's the body that gets uh, in. To, to make up our students and um, and the students at Drew generally like another uh, not any other schools stay in service for underserved um, they're ten years later they're still doing it so they come with the motivation they developed it before they got here we reinforce it they go serve underserviced areas and they stay there providing service so it's quite a remarkable record I think I definitely want to know where, um, which YMCA um, is, is having the cooking classes because I'm sure everyone would want to know that information before I forget. It's on Century in Manchester. Century in Manchester. Yeah. And particular Dr. day? Do Dr. David Martins. I don't know the days, but, okay. if, but if they so, call the Y, they'll... All right, good. I, I believe, Laurel, you mentioned the, the opportunities that the high school students would have on Saturdays um, with the, the Saturday program. If you can talk a little bit more in depth uh, about that program and how that will um, get them affiliated with STEM programs and, and the types of things that they would need to, to know moving forward. Yeah, thank you. And actually it's not just the high school students. Okay. That program starts at kindergarten and goes all the way up through our 12th grade. So are we in conjunction with our neighbor high school, King Drew Magnet High School, uh, host the Saturday Science Academy, number two, which is led by Lorraine Gray. And three times per year, she hosts these students from within our area and from outside our area, from kindergarten through 12th grade, and they're taught science, technology, engineering, math by students here at the university, some of the uh, College of Medicine students, and other students who are wanting to give back. It's another vehicle for those students to give back and along with that this upcoming October 1st there's going to be in conjunction with our 50th year anniversary Jazz at Drew and that's a fundraiser and a lot of those funds go to the Saturday Science Program. So we're trying to make sure that our students from kindergarten they're, they're doing dissections and they're going to the uh, um, aquariums so they can learn about marine biology and things of that nature. They have field trips out to ranches and things. So Ms. Uh, Lorraine Gray has done a fantastic job with that during her tenure over at Saturday Science Academy. And we're trying to build that pipeline of thought to make sure that our students are continuously thinking of science, technology, engineering, and math. So even if they don't go into it, they have a foundation. If they do go into it and they have an awareness and appreciation of those fields because those are the crucial fields that uh, they'll be meeting in terms of their career objectives in the future. Is there an application process for the science? Yes, and, and Ms. Gray has all that information for us and uh, we'll be able to get that uh, from her uh, later on this afternoon. Mm -hmm. But when does it start, do you know? I'm not 100% sure. I know there are three separate sessions and she takes breaks between the sessions. I'm not sure when the next one begins. All right, good. On um, every episode, we do a, a little fill-in-the-blank part. I want to do that with, with you two as well. So if you both want to give your answers, that, that's great. So I'm going to give you two words, and then you will fill in the blank. So first, well, we can just go back and forth. So we'll start with you, Laurel. So fill in the blank. Don't stop blank. Learning. Don't stop learning. It's a lifelong process and no one knows everything, don't stop learning. Sylvia, what would you have to say to that fill in the blank? Don't stop caring about the needs of people beside yourself. Yeah, and I think 
by what you guys shared with us today, um, just by the, the, the student bodies that you're looking for to, to bring into the university, um, definitely that's, that's indicative of that. Um, the second one, Laurel, would be you can blank. Achieve. I believe a lot of people walk around, especially our youth, without the thoughts that they can be successful. And we need to let them know that they can achieve their dreams. So you can achieve. Why do you feel that most of our youth have that belief? Where do you think that comes from? I think society has a preponderance of negativity. And they see it in the media. They see it in entertainment. Uh, they may not get the support where we traditionally think our children should get the support. So they have a uh, sometimes a, maybe a pessimistic attitude. And we need to be, again, the village and saying, okay, well, if you're not getting it from the traditional sources, you can get it from us because we will provide you the motivation, the, the enthusiasm, and the tools to achieve your dreams. So it's just a matter of us reaching out to the youth and making sure that they know that there's someone out there who is going to support them in that thought. All right, great. Sylvia, so you can blank. You can be a doctor. You can be a nurse. You can be a physician assistant. You can be a scientist. When our kindergartners come to Saturday Science, they begin to address them as doctor. They give them stethoscopes. They give them little white coats like their doctors. They instill the image of themselves at the earliest point as people who can grow to become that. We need to do that with our children. We need to let them have the idea at the beginning that they can go as high as they want to go. I love that. Last one. Conversations are blank. Critical. Conversations are not just someone talking at you, but talking with you. And that's the essence is we need to listen to each other within our homes and worldwide and not speak at each other, uh, but speak with each other. So conversations are critical. Conversations are a gift. We thank you, Trent, for this opportunity for a conversation about the future of the health of our community and the future of our education of our young people. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank the two of you for your time today and congratulations on the 50th anniversary. And I'm sure there's going to be 50 plus more um, anniversaries to, to have uh, along the way. So um, before we end, uh, we didn't mention the relationship that you guys have with UCLA. Now, does, does anyone want to mention that? Yeah, and we briefly touched on it in terms mm -hmm. of our College of Medicine. Yes. Our students in the College of Medicine will go to UCLA for the first two years. And then their last two years, they'll come through Charles Drew University. And that is our primary relationship with UCLA. Yeah, oh, so it is a joint degree. Yes. All right, good. That's good to know. How, last question, how difficult has it been after um, Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital closed? How have you dealt with, with that and overcome some, whatever issues came along with that closure? Um, how has that affected Charles R. Drew University? And let me know the, the, the positives that might have come out of that. Well, it was a devastating blow to this community uh, when the hospital closed. Um, it was a training ground for residents, I think, in 23 specialties. And that training stopped at that point in time. The university is trying to re-establish uh, those residencies now, and we're going to do it. But um, it, it put a stop in something that was pivotal to the development of health expertise in this community. It also said to a staff of people 
who had been working diligently taking care of the sickest of the sick for many, many years. It just closed. Nobody gathered the nurses and said, thank you for your care. Thank you for the love that you've given these patients over these years. You can't do that. You can't do that to a community. But it was done. And um, now we have, thanks to Supervisor Mark Rickley Thomas, a beautiful new hospital, a beautiful new outpatient center. Um, and so we're back on our feet again. And we're growing. And um, we're overcoming it. It'll take still years to get that residency program back to where it was. Um, but we're going to do it. And that's what we do as a people, that's what we've done, and we're going to continue doing it with this. And, and let me say maybe also the opportunity it gave us was to not put all our eggs in the one basket. We were called to outreach into other facilities, so our students are being trained in a diverse uh, uh, demographics of facilities and clinics throughout the area. And I think that's good because they'll be able to reach out to a different type of population as opposed to just a population that is here within this uh, geographic area. So I, I think it was a curse and a blessing at the same time because now we've expanded our outreach in terms of residencies uh, in the uh, Southern California area. Where do the two of you see, uh, we mentioned 50 plus years, where do you see the university in, in, in 50 years? What, what would be your, your vision for it? Well, as Sylvia alluded to, uh, Dr. Mark Ridley Thomas, uh, the supervisor, one of the supervisors in Los Angeles County, is developing this area as a medical education center along with community uh, uh, hospital and the uh, school here. This whole area is going to be renovated and it's in the process of being such. So this area bounded by the freeways, it, it's a want to be area. People are coming back into this area and I, I see the growth in terms of the infrastructure. I see the, the growth in terms of the desire of people to not want to drive two hours each day, each way from work. So I, I envision that this university is going to be a part of that growth. And as uh, Sylvia mentioned earlier, the uh, 2,000 plus students that we uh, intend to uh, grab from our undergraduate basis, I think that's going to be a bulwark. That's a part of our strategic plan, and I think that's going to be the bulwark for our university in and of itself in terms of the growth, because with that type of growth, with our, the advent of having housing for students, it's going to have subsidiary and tangential growth within the area. Sylvia, anything to add to that? Your vision? Well, it's already beautiful, that, and people should just drive through to see how, how changed it all is we have a new uh, School of Public Health that the county has built. Um, in addition, we have a urgent care um, center for, for patients who uh, should be cared for rather than taken to jail if they're having a mental health crisis. There's just so much going on right now uh, that people don't really know about on this campus. Uh, but it's going to keep growing and there are going to be parks they're going to be recreational facilities. It, it will look more like UCLA um, than a small campus that it was historically. So that's in our, we have drawings, we have plans, and uh, it's a good place to invest because it's, it's going up. I would be remiss to, to not ask, be it a, um, historically black university, minority university, is there access, access for other um, cultures? Um. Yeah, we have a very diverse population here at Charles Archer University. 90% uh, of our students are minority students and that grows the breadth of ethnicity, culture, religion, race, however we want to uh, uh, put it in a paradigm. So. Yeah, we're welcoming, and I think that's one of the strengths of our community is we are welcoming. And uh, there are people who want to come from outside of our communities and come into our communities and gain and give back to the community. So I, I think there's a great place to be for those of that mindset that says, okay, I want to help. And you, you find that throughout all strands of people. I just want to mention that 50% um, of our medical students are Latino. Okay and 50% African-American. We're 
very cognizant of the fact that when Drew University was established, the, in, the neighborhood was 80% black. Now it's a majority Latino, and we want to serve the Latino population that is in our environment. So the, the students are um, diverse uh, in, in all departments, and we welcome it, and the faculty is reflecting that. The dean of the College of Health and Science is Latino, and the dean of the School of Nursing is Latina. So we are not only getting students from a diverse population, but our leadership is changing. So it's a welcome environment, and we're going to continue to grow in that regard. So finally, let's end with, if any listeners want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way for them to connect with you? If it's social media platforms, email, how would you like the listeners to connect with you? Well, in order to get a breadth of the university, I would suggest go to our website. And that gives any of your listeners the full spectrum of Charles Archer University. That is cdrewu.edu, cdrewu.edu is our website. Uh, you can uh, call me directly at 323-563-4916 and uh, I'll be able to hopefully answer some of the questions that they may have or give them some insight that uh, wasn't gone over here in the uh, uh, interview. And if not, I'll be able to find somebody such as Sylvia (laughs) (laughs) who would be able to assist in that regard. Right, Sylvia, any platforms? Uh, I'd be happy to answer emails from anyone. My email is sylviadrewivie at cdrewu.edu. And finally, I only brought one book. I normally give a a, a book to show my appreciation. And um, so, Laurel, I'm going to um, give it to you because Sylvia agrees that I should. And it's um, from Jack Canfield, and it's Living the Success Principles and Inspiring Stories of Real People Achieving Extraordinary Results. And there you go. And Thank you. Oh, thank you. And obviously, I I can feel it. And I know that all your students and all your faculty, you guys are extraordinary and you're um, helping make extraordinary individuals out there in the world. So so thank you for all that you do. And we appreciate that. And I would be remiss if I didn't end on the note that we do again have uh, Jazz at Drew, some uh, fantastic entertainment coming on October 1st on a Saturday. Please have all your listeners come in. Join us for that event. Uh, we'll bring Jazz Drew back. It was a two-day uh, event. We're bringing it back on this 50th year anniversary, and we look forward to seeing you all out there on October 1st here at Charles University. Sounds good. And once again, happy anniversary, and hopefully we'll, we'll see you out there. Thank, Thank you, Trent. You. As always, Venters, I need your help in spreading the word about Vent with Trent the Gent. If you feel that the podcast has brought you value in some way, please share Vent with Trent the Gent with your social network friends. Thanks in advance. It means the world to me.